God, we come and we want to see more clearly. We want all of our lives infused with your love. We would love to see your glory in everything in our lives because you love everyone and everything that you have made. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may love as you love and know you working through us. God, we thank you that you are indwelling us. We thank you for your love for your world and that you are at work in your world, in our community, in our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It was estimated in AD 100 there were probably around 25,000 Christians. By AD 300, do you know how many Christians there were estimated to be? 20 million. We've gone from 25,000 AD 100 to 20 million Christians in AD 300. What happened? What is the genius? What is the extraordinary things that happen to increase that number of Christians? Before you answer that, just remember the following five points as well. That during the year 100 to 300, Christianity was an illegal religion. The church had no buildings as we know it. They didn't have scriptures as we know it. There was no professional or trained leadership. Perhaps that was a good thing. They had no music group. They had no youth worker. They had not even a church, cafe, or a projector. By 300, there were around 20 million Christians. For this reason, for the fascinating story of the growth of the church, we have to look more carefully at the book of Acts again and again to understand better the workings of God's Spirit. The working of God's Spirit through a bizarre and a particular group of people. People with lots of personality, people who are broken, people who are gifted, are people that God uses to transform the world. That's what we're doing in our series as we're looking at particular Christian communities, starting with Antioch and with Jerusalem. Can anybody tell me any of the genius that was found in Antioch? Anything particular that you remember back from two weeks ago? that was said about Antioch, that was really particular to its growth as a Christian community there? Anything at all that stays with you? No, they were just asleep and they just sat. And, uh... Was that the thing that they, they asked the church to, to improve? That was last week. That's Jerusalem. That was a good story too. Thank you for speaking, Steve. <laughs> it's a great story too. God in his grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fills these people. And even at a time of suffering and persecution, the church grows. And they look at working things out. They recognize the need to be, recognize the different groups within their church and to do something about it. But in the power of the Spirit, even at a time of persecution in Jerusalem, the church grew. Antioch was the place where, Fiona, sorry. That's correct. 
from all over the place. And we're saying, just, it's a bit like Camborne, that, isn't it? God bringing people to be at that time, in that place, from a variety of places, different churches, different backgrounds, different, um, sorry, not churches for them, but for us. But in Antioch, the different ethnic backgrounds, remember people came from Africa, they found themselves in Syria, that's where Antioch is. It's always good geographically to, today, just interesting to give us, Antioch is in Syria, and it was Antioch where other people looked at the way that these people lived and said, these are Christians, these people. They remind us of Christ. They speak to us of Christ. They're living in a way that's Christ-like. Wow. Imagine that happening. Someone looking at our lives and saying, they speak to us of Christ. You know, I look at them, I think, they, they remind me of somebody. It's Christ. They're Christians. It was at Antioch that that happened. Wow, what a fantastic thing if you're an Antiochian Christian, for you to be called a Christian at that place, in that point in time. So today's story, where do we get to? We get to Corinth. We've got to Corinth. And uh, we're looking, if you like, at the bad boy of the early church. A Christian community with a reputation for being oversexed, over-opinionated, and too full of themselves. Many sermons and talks about Corinthians and the problems there are at Corinth. And undeniably there are problems in the Corinthian church. But I'd like us this morning just to notice that God is at work in Corinth. How does the work in Corinth start? And what can we learn from what God's Spirit doing in that place and relate it to our own? Corinth was a thriving, thrusting young metropolis. The ancient city of Corinth had been destroyed in a war between Greece and Rome in 146 BC. It had been refounded as a city only in 44 BC. Now, a hundred years later, it was a key Roman province in the Greek East. Corinth had two ports. And if you remember at that time, shipping was the means of everything, of communication, of trade, of peoples, of ideas. Shipping was... Um, fundamental to expressing life. And Corinth had two harbours. Hugely important, right there in the middle of the east-west coming goings of the Mediterranean. Really important in the Roman Empire at that time. And so we see this place, a cosmopolitan place with people from all over that area, a place bursting with life and energy. A staging post for the gospel. And so Paul arrives here from Athens. And if you look at your Acts, look at the passage you read in Acts, you see Paul gets to Corinth from Athens, and Corinth is part of Greece, our contemporary Greece. And the next thing we read is hugely significant, but it's just, you read Acts, and it's hard because the writer gets so particular about things to get your head around the, the big picture of what's actually happening. But this is fundamental to the church in Corinth, that who he meets when he gets there. That first encounter, the couple he meet, were also in about comers, like him, had arrived in Corinth recently, and their names were Priscilla and Aquila. And hey, would you believe it? They too were tent makers. Well, there's luck, isn't it? If you believe in such a thing. Divine coincidence. God brings Priscilla and Aquila from Rome to meet with Paul, also a tent maker, who was coming himself from Athens. Priscilla and Aquila had been expelled, a number of Jews who'd been expelled at that time from Rome. 
Claudius, the Roman emperor, had ordered their expulsion. There had been trouble in Rome. Suetonius, the Roman historian, records that the expulsion happened as a result of some disturbance caused at the instigation of Crestus. Crestus, what we have in our Acts reading. Crestus is probably a variant spelling for Christus or Christ. And most scholars agree this does not relate to Christ, but most likely to early Christian preachers who caused the disturbance in Rome by proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. Claudius hates insurrections and riots and orders a significant number of Jews out of the capital. And so they arrive in Corinth. And so they meet up with Paul. Paul, who was born in modern-day Turkey, remember? Brought up as a Jew. Meet this couple coming from Rome. Both tent makers. Paul gets to know them and... They share their lives together. They share their business together. And Priscilla and Aquila become Christians. In that sharing of life together, in that sharing of work together, Priscilla and Aquila become Christians. Notice they're not Christians at the start. And we don't, how, we don't know how they become Christians, but it's through their sharing of their lives together that Paul's faith rubs off on them and they become Christians. They were tent makers. What does that mean, being tent makers? It probably meant in that time working with leather. And Silesia, the part of Turkey that Paul came from, um, was where the people were expert in making goat skins. And so it was maybe something to do with that that Paul was an expert in. And tents for whom? Again, you think of tent making in Corinth. Who are they making the tents for? Well, there's a few possibilities. Maybe there were tents for people to live in. Maybe they were repairing tents. Maybe they were providing tents for the military. With the Roman Empire, soldiers got posted all over the place and arrived in a place and needed to augment their habitation and their, their clothing and the like. And so they might have provided them for the military. Interestingly, Mike Breen, uh, another, scho- another scholar, has this theory that God sent Paul to work amongst the expelled Jewish refugee community from Rome that was camped all around Corinth, because what do refugees need? Tents. Maybe that's a bit too contemporary, that looking back into our situation, because you tend to hear the word refugee, and you think of the UN handing out tents. But it's a fascinating idea, isn't it, as for a tent maker to go to a place where people were displaced and homeless. Whatever you think of that situation, what I've just said, again, is striking. Corinth was a bustling center where people were passing through on their way of trade. It was a place where people were displaced. There was a lot of flux and fizz. People were asking first order questions in Corinth. There was lots of stuff happening that was a bit odd and strange, but it was a a spiritually open place to be. Made me think of Camborne, that. An openness to ask first order questions. Where'd you come from? You baptize your children? What's that about? What's this Jesus stuff? You know, I think it's dangerous for us to... Well, it's important we recognize how open our community here is. And to enjoy that and to engage with that. Because I'm not sure in the future whether we might become a little more, bit more closed as things become more established. Let's recognize how fantastically open 
and promote that openness. Again, one of our core values as a church is that we are open to God's Spirit, open to learning from one another. Let's underscore that as a church and give that as an imitation for folks around us that we remain as open to ideas and to change and to go on being changed as we currently are. Meeting with Priscilla and Aquila is fundamental to the start of the church in Corinth. The next thing I want to say is that the church in Corinth doesn't start with a sermon. It starts with a business relationship. A business contract was what the church in Corinth was founded upon between Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Because of uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Paul was introduced to a whole raft of craftsmen and traders and the like because in that part of the city, there was a group that did their business in a certain area. And so Paul was introduced and met all these significant people. And so it was the business end, the business park, if you like, of Corinth, in which Christianity first took root. It wasn't the religious end. It was the business park that, that Christianity in Corinth first took root. Let's to watch a little DVD now that Andy's going to play for us that helps us hear the story of a place in Merseyside where work and faith are being reevaluated. And thinking about God speaking into our work situation and allowing the possibility of maybe, as Christians, we could meet during our work or use our work situation to engage with our faith a little bit more. Take a look at this, and I'd be interested to see what you think. This is... Most of us spend the majority of our waking hours not resting, but working and playing. Whereas for centuries, the church has only focused on where we live rather than where we spend most of our time. Now things are changing and fresh expressions of church are springing up in all sorts of places. The main thrust of our meetings is discipleship. Within a small group, it's so much easier for people to share the things that's closest to the heart, the problems that they may have, the pressures that they have. Father, we just pray now that you would uh, just take hold of this meeting. It's amazing to see the growth that we have in people in such a short time. Some people have gone to the traditional church for many years, but have grown so much more in the last six months than any other time in their life. The first group we started off with as a cell was some strategic leaders of the force. It's been amazing how God's put people in really important places within the police service. And, and we started as a group around about 12 months ago. We have two other groups that work out of St. Helens area, who are very independent, they, they run themselves. And we have one group on the south side of Liverpool and one on the north side of Liverpool. And we now have a further group that meet at um, the force headquarters. What we found in the police service now is people work an awful lot of hours. And when you put on top of that, sometimes they travel an hour to work. So they spend so much time at work compared to the time that they do at home. Uh, people are busy during their home time. and Sometimes they don't even find time for the traditional church on a Sunday. But what I've found is that there are some people that have, have either not been going to church for some reason and have in the past, or have just found God for the first time and really want somewhere to come along to where they feel comfortable. So this is the natural place for them to go for their church. 
the Romanian trip is still going ahead. The young people are, st- are still going over there. It's just how many of them, and I think some of them are still wobbling a little yeah. bit about whether they feel they can cope with it emotionally. Sometimes we meet just after we finish at work, or sometimes meet in the lunchtime, but it's a very valuable time for these people. Within the cell group, we, we look at a very s- simple format. We find it very important to look at the presence of God and experience the presence of the God at the start of every meeting. Then we look for what pressures we have. People have pressures within the work environment, but also within the home environment. And they, in the main, they feel comfortable sharing within this small group. And then we look at our purpose. We are Christians in the workplace, and we've got an ideal opportunity to talk to people that we work with on a daily basis about the God that we worship. And it's just a fabulous place to be at this time. And we thank you that you brought us here with a purpose. Lord Jesus, just The cell group is very important to me because, obviously, people spend a lot of time um, in the workplace. And it's where they spend most of their life, really. Also, it's a comfortable environment, I think, to, to share your faith with uh, non-Christians. As a single parent, um, I have two children that I'm bringing up uh, with a full-time working role as well. So it's very important to me to, uh, to remember to put God first in my life. And, uh, and sometimes it, to, to meet in a cell group is a helpful prompt and, and gives me that time to, to really put God back at the beginning of my life. It is pressurised, the job. And so it's important within the working week to make time. Uh, to be able to discuss with other people and to pray before God, make time in the workplace. Um, and, I, and I value that because it does force you to stop for the hour at least and dwell on the things of God. Um, otherwise that opportunity might not be available. It's, it's amazing how God opens doors to be able, enable us to do the things that we've done. Um, our Chief Constable is aware of the work <laughs> that it has taken within Riverforce, within Merseyside Place, and he's wrote a letter to the Bishop actually supporting all the work that we do. We've also become an official staff association, so people who are Christians all over the force can come to us and um, for whatever problems that they may have. What's fascinating about this particular fresh expression is that it started from just one person who, who really had a, a, a passion for their workplace. Um, but because it was a network, a work network, spread very, very naturally and very, very quickly. So not only through his own particular workplace, but um, increasingly through the region, and now increasingly nationally as well. I think one of the most important things is to get people alongside you who are, who are Christians and explain your vision to them. And what I've found is that very quickly people have catched the vision about fresh expressions. People can see the benefits of it. People want to do it. And once you've got a small group of people, just really pray through that and, and get other people outside of your organisation to pray for what you're doing and just watch the doors open. I would like to see all the forces that now have a Christian Police Association have a, a church similar to ours with fresh expressions, uh, small cell groups, um, groups where people are accountable. I would like to see that right through the country. Good story, eh? Just encouraging to sort of see what is happening in our places and in other places outside Sunday morning. In our church at the moment, we're going through a period of looking at, as we fill this space on a Sunday morning, let's be more intentional about our discipleship and allow there to be more particularity in the expression of our Christian life. And that might mean, as it did in Corinth, more stuff happening in the business park. It might mean places of work. Already some people in our church have expressed an interest in with joining with others at the allotments and maybe having a, a missional community that, that, that starts there. 
or just a group that, where people who are, find just their work is all-consuming just occasionally have a meeting um, in which you can share pressures and presence of God and, and something of what the chief inspector was saying there and just thinking about relating all of life two ways, faith and work together. We're saying this because we recognize in Corinth just how important that first connection as tent makers were for planting the gospel and building, being part of the church. So time's really almost gone now. I want to just sort of finish with, with again, saying like Antioch. The church in Corinth was incredibly diverse. And we had those two long readings because there's a whole lot of named people in there that I'm fascinated as regards where they were on their Christian journey. Several of whom weren't Christians, some of them who opened their homes, and the number of people who were opened their homes, and I reckon were, were house group leaders, house church leaders. Chloe, we really don't know much about her. Was she a house church leader? Chloe's people, fascinating. Apollo came and preached there, and people were particularly impressed by him. Paul was obviously there. Um, Crispus, there's something happening in his house. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, something happening in their house. And clearly such diversity was happening that Paul had to say to them, oh, hold on, hold on, just remember you're Christians and what does that mean and can we as Christians share together? They were becoming so disparate that it was going to be problematic. And yet what I like is the other way. They were looking to embed their faith in the particularity of their personalities and their context. And this is something I think we can think about as we look forward to God's growing our church and continuing to do that in new and increasingly diverse ways. So these were people of power, spiritually aware, sometimes naive and young in their faith, and yet there's a lot that we can learn from them. Final thing I want to say is that in Corinth, what encourages me is just how much of this is clearly God's work. How much of this is God's work? We get excited about Paul, rightly so. But Paul arrives there just at the same time as Priscilla and Aquila are there. That wasn't Paul's timing. That was God's timing. When you look at the list of people that are mentioned, these people, people of faith, good people, people who are willing to give, to share houses, willing to, to do stuff together, God was already at work. God was already ahead of Paul in that situation. You notice when Paul gets a bit, again we read this, he gets a bit um, troubled by how opinionated and powerful these Corinthian Christians are. He says, oh Lord, what am I going to do with them? And God says to him, Paul, it's okay. There are other Christians in this place already. Are there? People I don't know about. Yes, Paul, I'm at work in ways you don't yet see or understand because I love these people. Because I love these people. I get excited when we run the Alpha course for the reason that people out of the blue phone me up and say, hey, see you're running an Alpha course. I'm interested. Sorry, who are you? Where are you coming from? It happens each time in Camborne. Wonderful. But not just in Alpha courses. In the questions that people are asking at our workplace, God's love is for each one and each one is made. And so it's not surprising that God is at work and bringing these things to the fore. Our job is to see what God's doing and to join in, to listen and not think it only happens in certain boxes at certain times with certain people. God's love is what? Did we say at the start of the service? How deep? How wide? Because God 
loves everyone and everything he has made. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you're teaching us about life. We thank you for our lives together. And we ask in your grace and in your mercy you go on changing us. God, we've each got different personalities. We've had different experiences. We've come from different places. We ask, however, that you'd give us your heart of love that assures us of who we are, but is for our community and for our world, that we may know how to share your love with others. We may want to share your love with others. We may want to join in with what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.